Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Stuff, that's what. But for a more, you know, detailed answer, we'll go into an episode today. Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman. And you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. We are going to be talking about horror culture and horror things, which could involve sensitive subjects such as child abuse, F-bombs, SA, as they like to say on the YouTubes now, because everything is algorithm. Yeah, we're going to be talking about dark things. So that's a trigger warning. If that's not what you want to listen to, how the hell did you get here? If that is your cup of tea, enjoy and welcome to the show. Hello. Coming up in the future, we are going to be interviewing authors Paula D. Ash and Robert P. Atone. I'm still fucking that one up. I know it. It's I, I bet it's Atani. No, I don't think so. No? Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Atone. Probably Atone. Yeah. But that voice is today's guest, author, actor, and writer Cody Goodfellow, best known for such works as Radiant Dawn and All Monster Action. And he's been in a couple of movies called Tales of Halloween and this show called Shameless, you may have heard of. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Our pleasure. Uh, so in this interview, we'll be going through uh, sort of three or four different phases. We'll talk about your childhood, your adolescence, your adulthood, and then do some wrap-up questions. But basically trying to find out what it is that you love about horror. Um, before we get into that, though, anything currently working on that you want to pitch? Sure. I'm, I'm working on a, on a werewolf novel. Okay. The working title I'm definitely not going to use is, is an American werewolf in Portland <laughs> and right. yeah, uh, trying to get a couple of film projects off the ground and stuff. My most recent projects that I'm, uh, trying to pimp are a reissue of my 2010 novel, perfect union from ghoulish books. Okay. If you like, uh, stories where nasty things happen to aimless young people in the woods, uh, maybe, maybe it's uh, for you. <laughs> and, uh, anthology i edited called new maps of dream with joseph s pulver uh it's uh out from ps publishing and uh new fantasy stories kind of set in the dreamlands milieu of uh hp lovecraft cool yeah uh we'll put together a bio page for you and link to whatever it is that you want to link to uh we'll do that offline but um getting into childhood uh what were some of your earliest memories of scary things everything i mean I I had a, a, a really turbulent childhood, uh, so my earliest coherent memories are coming out of this place of real displacement. Are my, my parents broke up when I was three, and there was a, a lot of turmoil, a lot of uncertainty, and I was a very angry kid. I was kicked out of three preschools, two babysitters in a kindergarten, mostly for breaking stuff. And I had recurring and paralyzing night terrors and uh, real torment, which I responded to with uh, with just anger. And somehow, as uh, monsters and monster movies for me became uh, therapy, I would uh, stay up late or, or watch, you know, monster movies and on Saturday afternoons and, and and late at night if I could get away with it. And at my grandmother's house where I could watch whatever I wanted. I would, I would stay up all night and just binge watch monster movies. And my mom was of the mindset that staying up late, watching the scary movies was what was feeding the nightmares. But what I found was exactly the opposite was true is that the horror movies were a, a, a powerful metaphor that somehow made me feel like I wasn't alone. And, and when I, once I, I really started binge watching monster movies, I stopped having the night terrors. It was almost like my mind 
uh, seemed to negotiate this thing. And I realized, okay, these scariest things that you have to face, they're really just monster movies that your brain is making up for you. Hmm. After that, they stopped happening. Uh, or at least they stopped happening with the kind of paralyzing, devastating potency that they'd had before. And they stopped being a dis- <laughs> changed into something a- else that you were afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. And they stopped being a disruptive force in my life. And I, I, I think about like hallmark moments and, and to me, one of the, like everybody else from that era, from growing as a kid in the seventies, I watched like the, the horror TV movies like gargoyles and don't be afraid of the dark and stuff. And those made a big impression. But uh, to me, one of the ones that really, where I was really aware of not just the film, but myself watching it and how it was changing me or how it was opening up a different world and different thoughts was uh, watching phantasm. I think it was a, a movie of the week late at night on CBS. It was, it wasn't just the movie itself, which is such a beautiful dark dream in, in itself that it doesn't, it, it really plays to the, the, the role of cinema as a shared transmitted dream. Uh, and thus it has its own vocabulary and it's in its own irrationality that really appealed to me. But it was also just the transgressive nature of it staying up late. And it was kind of this forbidden thing that I, that I had to enjoy, even though it was making me gasp and, and laugh alternately trying to be quiet. Cause if I woke somebody up, then it would give away the game mm. that added this, this delicious kind of candy coating to it. But it was really vital psychological therapy for me. And it, and it helped stabilize me and, and, and keep me grounded so that I could face the rest of the world. It gave me a vocabulary for understanding my own fear and my own anger and my own uncertainty about, uh, about life. So it was, yeah, it, it uh, has always been, has always been a, a reinforcing, nurturing resource for me. Interesting. Uh, how about uh, Halloween? Did you participate in Halloween as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, I dearly loved it. I loved doing my own, you know, makeup shit, but I remember there's, there's one, the Halloween that I most vividly remember, it was probably like 78, 79. And I went as a mummy just wearing pajamas with ace bandages uh, over them. And we went in this new neighborhood that I'd never been to before. And the first house that we went up to, there was a couch sitting out on the porch with like an old dusty throw blanket over it. And I went to the door. I, I rang the bell. The lady complimented me on my costume. She gave me a single serving size thing of uh, bottle caps. Remember those candy? It was like repurposed chalk in, oh, in yeah. the shape of, of trash. <laughs> yeah. And I, I took the candy and I turned around and the couch jumped up at me. <laughs> like there was a guy sitting on the couch underneath the blanket and he, he jumped out at me and I ran for the curb and my mom escorted me to the next house. The very next house had this big lawn party going, just a bunch of, bunch of old folks in costumes and stuff sitting around enjoying drinks. And they said, go on up to the front door and ask the devil for your candy. <laughs> And, and already I'm starting to wonder about this fucking neighborhood. <laughs> and, uh, but I, we go to the door and the door opens and you know how your, your childhood imagination embellishes things. Oh yeah. The door was like 16 feet tall and it took two years to creak slowly open. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and behind the door sitting on a throne 
<laughs> in this black velvet suit and with curly goat horns was the fucking devil. I mean, it was more of a Baphomet, really. I mean, it was, it was, mm. but it was a goat headed dude and he, and he held out candy. I straight up wet my pants. That's <laughs> <laughs> the important part. Did you still get the candy? Oh, well, I, I, I ran from the house and, and like one of the old folks stopped me and were, was like calming me down. And my mom came up with the, uh, uh, with the Reese's peanut butter cup <laughs> that I, that I had earned. That you left behind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, here you go, kid. You yeah. earned this. <laughs> and she asked me if I wanted to go to another house. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> We're good. These two, we are good on spooks for tonight. Right. And I, I yeah. yeah, if it's these two, then what's next? And that was, yeah, the, 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 that was a, a definite quality over quantity uh, Halloween, because I remember, mm-hmm. I vividly remember sitting in the bathtub afterwards while uh, eating, eating my bottle caps and my Reese's and my Reese's peanut butter cup, which were the only things that I got. And it, but yeah, they, they tasted like victory because I had to claw those out of the heart of darkness. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was, it was, I, I was scared shitless enough that I didn't want to, I couldn't bear to go on, but you know, that was the most memorable one. Then that was a lot more rewarding than, you know, the times when you hit a hundred houses and get a pillowcase full of candy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you have a least favorite costume? Uh, a, a least favorite costume? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there was the time that I tried to do a Wolfman makeup with hair clippings. Like your, <laughs> like your own hair? Uh, I, I wish. Uh, oh no! Oh, no. I, I opened that. <laughs> Went box. to the barber. I, yeah, there was. <laughs> I used I used an adult neighbor's hair because he had <laughs> he had like long long cur- uh, curly hair, and mm-hmm. uh, I I literally glued all this hair on my face with with spirit gum or with glue 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 like oh like, no uh, oh this uh, keeps getting better. <laughs> Elmer's Elmer's and rubber cement. Yeah, but, uh, than I mean, the Elmers wouldn't be that bad. We've all, you know, put the puddle in your hand and peel it off. That doesn't feel bad peeling it off, but oh, the, the rubber cement. Yeah, that that sounds yeah. problematic. Oh, it was it. It came off pretty easily, but oh man, it's a crazy exfoliant. It like <laughs> it, <laughs> I had no pores for oh like God, another, you, another six You invented months. Neutrogena strips. It was yes. I, I mean, some, <laughs> somebody out there has got to got to do these things. You you mm. can't have great breakthroughs in cosmetics without looking at, at <laughs> some bubbling shit coming out of a test tube and going, "What if? What mm. if on my face though?" <laughs> yeah, I, I for a while I had a dream of being a special effects uh, 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 makeup person, and and that was. That was the day that that uh, that kind of died. But yeah, I, I I used to take Halloween and 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 doing my own makeup and stuff very seriously. And like I used to make the mm-hmm. my favorite deal was was get a whole bunch of uh, cotton balls and liquid latex, mm-hmm. and 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 just glop them onto my face. Oh yeah, that's how you do zombie. Yes, yeah, or or or, or like a mutant. I, I was really mm-hmm. into p- mutants with with huge like acromegaly things and, and and face tumors and stuff you know like yeah and mops Toxic yeah like martin yeah. <laughs> martin landau's face in uh in in outer limits or something mm-hmm. or uh yeah uh warren oats with the with the, the huge mutant eyeball things so yeah yeah i used to love that shit i still still collect a lot of masks and things and cool. like like kind of doing my own my own makeup whenever i have an excuse to mm-hmm. um you said you wanted to be an effects artist uh how you you didn't end up one is any particular reason why not 
part of it was I, when I went to G, I went to a creative and performing arts school and okay. uh, all the arts classes I took were, were really discouraging. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of them, it was, it was straight up a, sh- a shitty teacher. There were kids that he liked to work with and thought were worth nurturing. And then mm-hmm. there was everybody else. Oh, good. Yeah. That's, you know, you know, shaping the future there. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I, I think from his perspective, he thought, you know, not everybody should be an artist. Not everybody can be an artist. And so I'm going to nurture the ones that have that I think have a future as artists, which is maybe two, three kids in every class. And the rest of us, it was just like Lord of the Flies with more tempera pain. <laughs> so other than the night terrors, did you have any other kinds of uh, reoccurring dreams or scary dreams? Yeah. I mean, I have, I I'd have like the, I mean, in childhood. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, all, all my life, like going back to childhood and like up to now, I, I have the, the lost in a weird city dreams or something, which is, you know, kind of when you're processing a new emotional situation. I don't think lost in a weird city is one we've heard before. You know, we've heard the uh, teeth falling out, falling. Sure. You know, embarrassing moments. Uh, yeah. Of course the paralysis dreams, but I don't know that anyone has ever brought up being in a weird city oh god or another a foreign land yeah if if i'm in a strange or strange or displaced or new situation that i tend to have these dreams where i'm wandering in a place kind of modeled on balboa park here in san diego which is similar to and i think designed by the same architect who did golden gate park in san francisco and so it's this very haunting strange limbo area with like neoclassical buildings with Mesoamerican features. And I've had variants of it throughout my life. I mean, it, and it started in early childhood, probably because my mother would take me to Balboa park when I was a baby and a small child and stuff. And so that was kind of a place where it was, it was the, a, a basic metaphor for, or conveyor for anything that was wondrous or strange to me. Right. Uh, have you ever in your childhood, was there ever a time when you were actually terrified of something in real life? Trying to think about like a, like a, actually the thing you mentioned about the devil at Halloween was a good one. <laughs> right. Scary. Right. There were some like fascinating, terrifying things. We, I, I used to live in a, um, in a skiing town, uh, in the Sierra Nevada mountains, uh, North of here called mammoth lakes. And one thing we'd go out to there, we'd, we'd cross country ski in winter to get out to the, uh, to the hot springs. It was like a, a, a creek in this Canyon and it was a beautiful place, although it stank of rotten eggs, but it had a couple of calderas where the water was actually boiling. And more than a couple times people had gone into the wrong hot springs and been boiled to death. And this was, you know, I, 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 I remember being in the, in the thing and, uh, you know, constantly afraid that, that, uh, yeah, the, the, this, the this could become the hot spot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the ocean, I mean, I've always had a, a very, not a love hate relationship, but a love and fearful respect relationship with fearful respect. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. We live near it and, uh, go body surfing. But I had a you know more than a couple of experiences where it felt like yeah I'm 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 going to die here the ocean's going to take me uh, away from all these people I mean and th- and that was another thing that that for me kind of therapeutically helped me to understand and and undetangle you know the the fascination repulsion thing you know we're fascinated mm-hmm. by and attracted by the things that we find threatening 
or or disgusting or repulsive and it it helped me to consciously understand you know what it why this one thing is repulsive or why do i irrationally feel like this thing that can't kill me is a threat you know and and why can't i take my eyes off it or you know and uh and so through entertainment both creating and consuming it um and and yeah sometimes uh judicious uh experimentation with psychotomimetics has helped me to to understand those those moments of fear and make them work for me. Mm-hmm. Let me flip the previous question around sure. and uh, ask: In your childhood, was there a time when you felt felt completely calm or safe or at bliss? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. Yeah, um, I was so strange estranged from any of those sensations that. I remember the first time I took a, a sensory deprivation tank trip, sophomore year of college, I, I got into the thing and I was laying there and I was thinking, oh, how, how will I know when it's over? Well, they'll come and knock on it. And then of course I'm like, well, but I'm in a sensory deprivation tank. How, how will I hear them knock? <laughs> and I kept getting up and thinking, okay, that must've been it. it. It's been an hour. And then I'd, I'd open up the thing and reach out and I'd look at my watch and it's like, oh, it's been six minutes. That's how they work. Yeah. And, and uh, oh, they can. And I, I think depending on how badly you need it, I, I laid down and, and relaxed and did the thing. And I might even have fallen asleep for a while, but when <laughs> they knocked on the door and they let me out, how, although I'd had no real transcendental experience you know inside the inside the tank itself afterwards for like a couple of weeks it completely rebooted my uh my psychology i Mm -hmm. was i it changed my outlook it changed my energy levels it changed my appetites it changed my relationship to you know addiction all the, the various vices that uh that i was consuming to get through life i mean and it, and it didn't like change my life forever and the next time i did it it just didn't happen I'm like well crap i guess it just- when you say it changed all those things how did it change it did it relax you did yes it- yes i had a sense of i had a sense of everything is okay mm. for maybe the first time in my life or at least the, where it was it was present enough and long enough that that i could that i could uh uh that i could really analyze it I mean, versus, I mean, I could only liken it to like, I, I could only describe it. And I described it then as like a Christmas morning feeling. And, right. and so, uh, yeah, uh, of course, if you could, if you could access, you know, the, those kind of states of being or states of consciousness on demand, why wouldn't you? Right. In your childhood, did you have any family members who were fans of horror or any friends who were? Not really in my family. My mom wasn't into that stuff. My dad loved fantasy. My, my, my father loved, uh, Tolkien and I, and I remember watching, uh, the time machine, the George Powell, Powell production of the time machine with him. And, um, but probably best of all, one of the people who really got me into horror and it, and really enabled me, I had a teacher in third and fourth grade, um, named Nancy Robbins and Nancy was an unvarnished horror fanatic. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember she, the day after she saw Dawn of the Dead, she talked about it for like two hours. <laughs> this was a teacher? Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, that's and she awesome. Was, she was a teacher at a school. My, my mom also taught at that school so I could hang out with her after school and stuff. And sometimes, uh, sometimes I, uh, and she had a daughter who was a year younger than me and we were really good friends. 
And so sometimes I would spend the night at their place and sometimes she would spend the night at my place and, and she'd take us out to movies. She, she bought me my first issue of Fangoria. I like this lady. Yeah. She no, cool. she, oh, she was, she was totally righteous. You know, Nancy, I had been in her class for about a month in third grade and I complained about the quality of the reading books that we had in class. And she was like, well, what do you like? And I'm like, I like scary books. So she gave me the shining. <laughs> she, she gave in, me a in third and fourth grade. Yeah. in third, in third grade, she gave me a hardback edition of the shining. <laughs> It's almost like she was calling your bluff, like, oh, oh, you want scary, but yes. okay, try this out. No, she totally, <laughs> she totally was. And by like many objective metrics, she's like, come here, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy was probably a terrible teacher because she was kind of motivated as much by this kind of piss and vinegar <laughs> as anything else. And it was kind of a dare. Well, any, teacher, I, any, any good teacher is. Yes. motivated by piss and vinegar. I, I, I think so. Otherwise, <laughs> well, otherwise they're not even there too. <laughs> otherwise they're, they're clearly not looking at their own paychecks, but, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, Nancy, Nancy, uh, ex- picked up the gauntlet that I laid down and gave me the shining. And then after I finished that, uh, uh, let me read the stand. I didn't Dude. get all the way through the stand that when it's it, a when long it, one. Yeah. When it pivoted from a plague book to a supernatural thing was when I, I, I put it down. I was always a very, I, and I don't know where I got this. It, it had to have been a spontaneous thing. I was always very vehemently, uh, I, w- I was one of those annoying superior atheists from like age four. Okay. I got kicked out of a line to have your picture taken with a mall Santa Claus. Cause mm-hmm. I told all the other kids, Santa Claus doesn't exist and God <sighs> doesn't exist. And all that. Yeah. I was, I was, I was horrible. Okay, and and I don't know where that came from. I I think a lot of it was just a, a sublimation of the anger I'd felt about my parents' divorce and and just all the chaos in my life. But that wasn't an outlet. We, we did. I didn't have. I didn't have like organized religion or, or or even spirituality as as a thing. And in some ways, yeah, horror became. I, I'm not going to say my religion because it wasn't a you know. Like I said, like a like a like a fandom that I carry around like a wet electric blanket, but it became uh, my mythology. It became a thing that, while acknowledging that it's fake, uh, it it had truths that 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 really spoke to me. And hang on, you said something I want to go back to. Sure, uh, you said horror was fake, but had truths that spoke to you. Yeah, yeah. What truths? Well, I mean, I mean, to go back to like like phantasm. Um, that, that you know nobody knows where we go when we die and mm. we have all of these rituals and things that we fetishize uh, ab- about it uh you know and 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 yeah of course the simplest answer isn't that well you get squashed down to a dwarf and sent off to be <laughs> slave labor on this other planet um Oh, and there's um, there, there's uh, evil chrome wiffle balls. Oh, and that balls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and balls. Yeah, yeah. And oh balls. God, yeah. And I tried to make one of those out of a out of a. Remember legs, the pantyhose that used to come in like an egg. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it came in like it was like a chromed plastic egg. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, I, I I tried to stick some plastic forks into it, but uh, <laughs> super glue, awesome. super glue, not having been invented at the time, it it went horribly awry. Um, but but yeah. Uh, but what it showed me, and I think what I absorbed without consciously realizing it was that, okay, adults don't know either. And all of mm. these things that we do, all of these ways that we enshrine and fetishize 
and ritualize it are to console ourselves about the fact that we don't know and we never will. Accurate. And and those kinds of things uh, are are I, I think what makes what makes the separates the horror that's just junk food. I, I think from the stuff that actually sticks to your ribs and mm. and builds you up. I mean, if you know, in anticipation of, of of the next chapter of this conversation is adolescence. You know, I, I right at the point when I was entering puberty, when everybody else was getting what's happening to my body, I got a, a copy of The Shadow Over Innsmouth from the Scholastic Book Fair, mm. and I you know got into into the Cthulhu mythos and Lovecraft and <laughs> around the same awesome. time as Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, which was a a higher order of pulp existentialist philosophy. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of deep stuff in there too. I just I am sorry, I chuckled for a second here because I'm thinking, no, sure. like you said, everybody else is doing puberty and you know they're like, man, that's a, have you heard about pubic hairs? Pfft, screw that up. You heard about tentacles? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm getting squamous and rugose over here in my bikini. But, uh, that's, another angle, that's another angle of it, though. Is like um, Lovecraft is some, is some deep shit to get into, existential type shit to get into at that age. Yes, yeah, and I, I think, but but like so many so many authors who currently write cosmic horror, talk we'll we'll talk about that in discussing their own maturations as uh, as artists and mm-hmm. as and as horror fanatics is that if you find that stuff during adolescence, when you're not just that your body's changing uh, and Lovecraft's pure, utter rejection of the body becomes this, this fascinating counterpoint to what you're, what you're experiencing and what the hormones are telling you to experience. Also just that it resonates with that realization that, you know, someday I'm going to die and everybody I know is going to die and they'll forget me. And what does any of this mean? Um, hang on. Cause you're yeah. kind of going off on a tangent. And I, sure. Sure. You specifically said something that I was more interested in sure. when you said, uh, that, so you said adults don't know either and never will. Right. And that something about that separates good horror from bad. Well, yeah. Well, when it, when it horror that tells you that, that, that speaks a truth, you know, whether, whether explicitly or implicitly in in the material you look at like something like you know the devil's reign mm-hmm. uh or mm-hmm. things like fear no evil and evil speak and stuff and so even these cheesy kind of exploitative things if they're done with a real love of horror behind them uh and mm-hmm. a real a real hunger to to understand or convey something about that even these junk foodie things can tell you more than the exorcist about supernatural terror i mean mostly the exorcist told me a lot about catholics uh after you know at, when i watched it as an adult but a lot of these junk food things tell us about our our need to externalize our own inter- inherent evil and and make it into this thing and the crazier and the sillier they make it the more it feels like they're just trying to push it away from, yeah, no, this, this evil is in us. It's not a force that comes up, you know, up out of the ground or, or, or intrudes from beyond, uh, beyond outer space. Um, and yet I, I'm not one of those people that, that subscribes to that, that whole, you know, humans are the worst monster. And so I like realistic horror because for one thing, slasher movies aren't, they're 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 just as far away from reality as anything with you know as Wishmaster or, or you know uh, 
because they're because they're stylized it, in a, in a, it creates a a fantasy killer that distracts you from you know the very workaday mundane terrors of ordinary life mm-hmm. um or they're killing somebody that deserves it um and and then it becomes just theater of cruelty i was just thinking about mm-hmm. in the teen section here you were talking about uh the shadow over insmith and yeah. dnd anything else jump out to you in the teen years I remember the first time that I read a, a, a Skip Inspector novel and thinking how much more, I don't, I don't want to say advanced, but how much more connected I felt to it and the characters in it than I had to, you know, Stephen King and John Ferris and all of these other very, you know, popular but establishment horror authors. Because uh, what Skip Inspector and then the other splatterpunk authors that I then sought out were doing was changing who could be the protagonist uh hmm. in, a, in a horror story and who the antagonist was the the horrors weren't you know an ancient evil you know or a demonic possession or something it was you know it was it was the evangelical church down the street you know or it was the industrial polluters that are that are secretly giving you cancer as a byproduct of all of these things that that products that you buy every day but hmm. uh it was more the way they used language and the way that they used character that I, I thought brought me closer to thinking, okay, I can tell my own kind of stories about the people that fascinate me. I don't need to find a way to tell stories set in a small town in new England. And that was, that was kind of liberating and empowering in a very big way. That was around the time that I started writing stories. I had a teacher in junior high school uh, I was at part of the seminar program and she let me set up an independent study class where I would just sit alone in a room and listen to music and write stories. And she'd read them and evaluate them uh, when I was done. And if she thought they were good, she'd help me send them to, uh, uh, to a market. And that was in high school or college? That was in junior high. Nice. That was in ninth grade. Wow. She uh, arranged to get a couple of local science fiction authors uh, to come speak to us. We didn't have any cool horror authors in San Diego in the eighties. Uh, but we had David Brin and Greg bear. And, nice. uh, have you ever read blood music? Uh, no, but I'm familiar with both those authors. My dad was a huge sci-fi fan. And got a couple of them. Like, uh, was it the moats and God, uh, the moat in God's eye? Was that Bryn? No, that's, that's uh Larry Niv- That's Niven and Pornell. That's a fantastic book. Yeah. I, I loved, uh, Niven and Pornell's, uh, stuff footfall, uh, their inferno. Um, yeah, and, and Moat in God's Eye is, is fucking epic. But no, Blood Music is it's perhaps the best sci-fi horror novel. I, 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 definitely the best one I've ever, I've ever read. And I would, I would say arguably, and I would, I would vociferously make the case that it, it's perhaps the best one ever written. Uh, it's about this guy uh, in San Diego working at a biotech firm who figures out a way to make a retrovirus that will use gene therapy to remake any organism that it's introduced to, to, to make improvements. And at, at, at the time that he's told to flush all of his research, uh, he says, fuck you guys. He resigns, he injects himself with the stuff and he finds out it's sentient. And if it was just a horror novel, it would just, it would do the whole thing, you know, and as the residents of the small town of blankety blank, have to band together to fight this evil. But instead, 
it has the 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 horrible morbid what ifness of 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 a great horror novel, but the scope uh, and the audacity of the best science fiction. When you say scope and audacity, what audacity in what turn in what way? Uh, the the virus remakes the world. And it's not just, it's, it doesn't just, you know, end with like this doomsday thing, you know, the world's going to end. It's like, well, how is this thing going to remake the world? It, it, when I read it, what it made me think about was what if, what if, yeah, what if death isn't just the only, the, the stakes it, what if something's not trying to kill you, it's trying to change you and, and it takes you beyond the fear of death. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then, you know, your fears become an entirely different things. What, if, what am I changing into? Uh, yeah. What am I becoming? What is the world becoming? And it, it kind of, it, it opened a door in my head that has never closed since. And I can't really name uh, anything. And I'd love to talk to anybody who could that kind of delivers those same thrills on that same level uh, mm. since then. Well, I mean, there's the body horror genre in general, but you're right. Yeah. Not a lot of body horror stories are very personal like that with the person yes. who's being transformed usually they just die and that's it or they're in right. a cocoon like eric stoltz and fly Two, and they, and they change and they're evil now but yeah right. nobody really does like a uh there are some like uh god what was it Thanatomorphos, i think uh there's uh -huh. an indie horror film with the woman is basically just rotting away but it's not really changing into something else she's just rotting so yeah right. I, I don't know that anyone's done the uh a, a more personal take on body basically. horror yeah I yeah I've, I've tried. Uh, there you go. Parasite did it. That anime. Uh, okay, mystery solved. <laughs> okay, true, true. Um, I mean, yeah, it usually wants to kill you or it wants to take you over. I mean, that was something I loved about uh, James Gunn's Slither. Mm -hmm. uh, was that it? It was this this messy organism trying to figure out some way to use us uh, to 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 make something else. Um, and that was and that was you know wonderfully fun. Uh, even if it didn't really get your imagination going. Mm. So let's uh, cover some of the other mm -hmm. teenage section questions here. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned that the uh, reoccurring dreams had gone through, you know, pretty much your whole life, but mm -hmm. other than the ones about, you know, being lost in this weird city and whatnot, did you have any other kinds of scary dreams or reoccurring dreams that happened in your teens? Um, and if not, that's fine. We're just asking. Yeah. I mean, not really that I recall vividly. Yeah. I mean, in my teen years, of course, I started doing all kinds of stupid things to fuck with my, my sleep cycles. As one does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, a, I was, a, when you're a short order cook in the eighties in, in Southern California, you end up doing a lot of meth that just happens. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, yeah, when, when you're up 24, 36, I, I think the worst I ever logged was, was, was 56 hours continuously and you're awake. Then you're, then you start dreaming and hallucinating when you're awake and they're, yeah. and they're not, they're no, not, that's not dreams at that point. That's, that's just hallucinations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just your, your, your brain is manufacturing fucking nightmares and putting them in front of mm -hmm. you. And those superseded, uh, whatever, whatever nightmares that I had. And, and that became a frequent enough occurrence well, for a while. You're not having nightmares if you're not sleeping. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. And when I did nightmares, sleep, it was the sleep of the dead. Uh, it was, it was the sleep of an unplugged appliance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, that. It's a good way of, uh, of describing restless sleep, the sleep of mm -hmm. an unplugged appliance. Hell yeah. 
that kind of leads into the next question then, sure. which is, you know, was there ever a time when you're actually terrified of something in, in real life? Um, these hallucinations could potentially be one of those. Anything else? Well, I mean, I was, I was, I was afraid of, you know, losing my sanity. I, I was seeing, you know, the tracks in my own uh, tracks and tendencies ingrained in my genes, uh, playing out in my family and, and thinking, you know, I, I'm, how am I not going to meet the same end? Cause I have the same programming, mm. you know, in fear that I was going to, going to lose my mind. I, I at no point ever, ever thought about, you know, taking my own life, but I did, I, I did have a very solid fear of losing my grip on reality. Uh, and yet I, that I think incentivized me to experiment more aggressively with mind altering drugs to, to find out what sanity and insanity were. Did you have somebody in your family that had uh, some issues with their sanity? Uh, oh yeah. Long history of mental illness. I mean, my, my, my father had recurring nervous breakdowns and substance abuse issues. Uh, my grandmother had a, a couple of nervous breakdowns. I, yeah, I have a, a great aunt who was, uh, was institutionalized repeatedly, but yeah, my father's side of the family, it was hard not to see them as cursed. So many weird single car accidents on Christmas Eve. So many people who fell asleep smoking a cigarette burned the whole house down. I had a I had a great aunt who was murdered by her husband on a camping trip in view of their six year old son. Oof. He he was allegedly hunting while she was collecting firewood and he shot her in the neck and he was able to get off and said it was a hunting accident and he put the child up for adoption huh. and nobody nobody knows what happened to him wow jesus you know and so uh yeah there was there was a lot of a lot of dark shit a lot of things that people in my family did where i found myself wondering you know how could a human being do that well the human being that had a lot to do with authoring your being did it so you really need to ask yourself, you know, mm -hmm. what you're going to do when these things suddenly, these, these horrible or these, you know, untimely ends suddenly seem like an outlet or suddenly seem acceptable. And, you know, I, I ended up stabilizing and making it through and, and through high school and college, you know, and, and kind of laid those things to rest. But yeah, when you're growing up and you're looking at who you are and what your life is going to be, and you're looking at the people around you great grandmother takes you aside and says, it's time you learned about the family curse, son. <laughs> that, that changes, changes your world because we're, you know, we're all raised to think, you know, you can, you can be whatever you want to be or whatever you put, do whatever you put your mind to and stuff and within, within limits. But we also, you know, some of us have challenges. Some of us are, are simply denied a lot of, a, a lot of the fundamentals of, of human existence. And some people seem to have it all. And yet because of something wired into them, they self-destruct. Life is hard enough without self, you know, sabotaging yourself because of, you know, addiction things in your genes or, or even just outlook issues, you know, and then as a parent, as an adult, you're looking at, at the things that you've, you've given your ch children and, and seeing your flaws or your weaknesses burgeon forth and seeing them having to deal with these things it it can be a it can be a you know that's a whole other source of source of fear that didn't resonate with me until i was a parent 
Let me again flip the previous question around. And in your teens, was there ever a time when you felt completely calm or safe or at bliss? Oh, hell no. <laughs> no. And that, was, <laughs> and that was the last thing that I wanted. I wasn't pursuing that. I was pursuing more noise, more chaos, more, more well, insanity. You don't have to be seeking it out to have it happen. Right, right, right. But I was seeking it out. No, I mean, you didn't need to be wanting the peace, uh, the peaceful moment either. Sure, sure. There were experiences with, with romantic love or, or travel. I mean, I think I, I, I wasn't looking for, at that point, moments of contentment. What I was really looking for was moments of peak experience. Mm. You know, what Aldous Huxley called like the clear white light. It, it wasn't a manic experience. It wasn't like I was simply excited. It felt like the brain was somehow optimized. The brain was, was everything was, was lined up and, and focused on, on what was going on. And, and I've had diminished experiences of it, uh, while traveling, uh, here and there in Hawaii and, uh, and, and in, and in Europe really briefly, I, I went to Uruguay to make a TV commercial a few years ago. And, <laughs> and I think. At a point, you know, and I, I, I haven't made this connection before, but it might have been the source of it might have been that it was an unfamiliar city mm. and, and thus like it dreams. felt like the dream realized. Are, are you talking about London or Paraguay? Uh, this happened in, uh, in Uruguay in, in Montevideo, mm. but, but yeah, also, uh, experience had happened in, in London, uh, had the same experience in, in Hawaii. Uh, while snorkeling, just this this sense where my brain was suddenly working at a, at a, at a, at a higher vibrating at a higher rate. At each of these times, I, I you know sat down and I wrote something, or at least jotted down an idea that I had that later became one of the best things I ever wrote. I was writing something down, so I missed a part of what you said. You had said that you were maybe just now making a connection that you hadn't thought of before. But, uh, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Just that, that the, the, a lot of these peak state things occurred during travel when I was in a strange city. Right. Okay, and that right. maybe I, what I was connecting is that, yeah, the, is that, is that, that maybe these peak states occurred because they in some way conjured or reiterated, uh, reified the, the recurring dream experience. Well, there's, there are multiple purposes for dreams and one of them sure. is to help us Quite, it, it, it's like our subconscious questioning our ability to uh, like, how would you handle this situation? And right. it's a preparatory thing right. that in your case, maybe you were feeling anxious when you were younger and yeah. this was, uh, you know, your, your brain highlighting situations that you could be anxious in and it just may have been lucky on your part that yeah. your brain chose to use that as the the situation in which to explore that anxiety. Right. So that later when you did travel to a new place, you didn't have the anxiety because you already had the dream, like you say. Doc, mm. you're a genius. I think I'm cured. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, I think I, I think you're definitely onto something there. What I one thing I the thing that I was writing down a second ago that I was referring to that I wanted to mention mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting that you were saying that you were seeking this your peak experiences right but it 
implicit in that, it seems that you define your peak experiences as, as being somehow exciting, not peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that's probably, that's a problem for a lot of people around me, probably not so much for myself, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like, I, I, I think of, yeah, of, of a peak state as, as potentiality of, of, of being galvanized more than of being centered. And as I, yeah, I mean, I'm 52. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, obviously I have to, I have had to slow down and have, have tried to cultivate, you know, places of peace. I mean, I, I I'm not, I'm not making a judgment. It no. was just an observation. Oh no, 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 you no, you're, but you are, you are inciting me to think about something that I haven't really thought about. I mean, and I do. Okay. Like the, the, the snorkeling experience. I, I, I love, you know, I've, I've come to love, I, I always have, but I, I, my, my, I love with, you know, caution the ocean, but it, I, I spend a lot of time swimming, you know, whenever it's warm enough and just floating on my back, looking up at the sky. And I, I think those, those moments of bliss and tranquility in that place that I can maybe will myself to in order to try and diminish anxiety when I'm not feeling it, uh, is, is usually, you know, floating in water. Okay. Uh, adult ears. Yeah. Some like if you were just to pick top three off the top of your head, uh, impactful things in the horror genre in your adult years. Oh, golly. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, when I went from being, you know, a person who reads Cthulhu mythos stories to a person who writes the damn things, it kind of changed my relationship. It's certainly, I mean, if there's anything that I've lost, I don't tend to get, it has demystified so much that, that I used to get pure unadulterated joy out of it's so hard to find something that can annihilate your preconceptions without just making you feel like you know you're really shitty at what you do uh and (laughs) has there been anything in your adult years that has met that criteria i'm I'm, I'm trying to think about that i mean well actually to, to fill in what i was what i was where i was headed before we yeah we got into bagging on um uh crimes of the future infinity pool well, it's, it's not, it's not perfect, but it did scratch that old school Cronenberg, uh, body horror itch mm. as did possessor, which yeah. I, I love 10 times more. Holy shit. It was just great. Uh, oh my especially God. Especially the unedited cut. So much red stuff. Oh yeah. No, that guy, <laughs> that guy approaches violence. Like he's never had a human body. Mm-hmm. It's so freshly shocking. It, it so re resensitizes you to to what bodily harm is i or i try to avoid succumbing to the trap of saying they're not making any good movies anymore you know they they stopped in the summer of 1983 and everything since then has just been derivative shit you know the thing is still you know my all-time favorite movie and i i haven't seen anything that did what that did better than it did but but yeah there 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 is still a lot of amazing shit out there Oh, I mean, speaking of fungus zombie movies, I mean, the last one that I remember that really blew me away, is it called In the Earth? Oh, Wait. no, was it uh, Gaia? Gaia, yeah. Yes. Not the, yeah. Not, the, not the Ben Wheatley one, no. but the other <laughs> one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I think the fungus, it's fungus zombies are cooler. And holy shit, mm-hmm. that ending? Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I love how they leave it open and amb- ambiguous like that. Like, I, I kind of saw it coming, but still, it was still good. Right. 
Right. Right. And so, yeah, there, there, there is a lot of stuff out there and I, I find myself frustrated when I can't get into something that yeah. really sends other people, you know, I tried getting into skin of a rink, but I only, I only made it 35 minutes in the skin of a rink challenge, <laughs> but I, I'm fascinated by other people's fascination. When other people mm. really, really get off on something, even if I don't, I want to know what, what it is about that. I mean, it's, um, so what did you love about infinity pool? Uh, you it said it wasn't, had a classic Cronenberg feel to it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and a lot of it is is in moments and scenes more than the whole narrative. Because a lot of times, the the whole narrative is kind of it's a framework, it's an excuse to get you into this place where these impossible things can happen. And yeah, the when when they get into this notion that I mean, w- without spoiling it for anybody uh, or trying not to, you know, this guy's accused of a crime, and he and but then he's told, well, we can grow an exact duplicate of you. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it will be you. We're going to execute you. And okay. of course, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I know. Uh, and, and this is horrifying. Why? And it was, it was, well, it was that kind of, I had for the first time in a long time, I had that, like, I burst out in laughter <laughs> because, because it had, it had gone to a place about, uh, right at about the exact moment when I realized that was where it was going it's that thrill of knowing, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. He knows what I'm thinking and is two steps ahead Hmm. and, 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 and can take you to a place that you didn't see coming. Let's, let's talk about emotions for a minute. Cause you're you're talking about things that are happening, but you're not really talking about your emotional response to them. Right. And that's, and that is something that I, I find in my work, I have to go back in and put in. Because I do get so wrapped up in the idea and the aesthetic and stuff that uh, the emotional stuff is almost like the 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 finish layer that I have to put on, often with editorial prompting. So was your emotional response to Infinity Pool because it was speaking to what you do in your own work? Yeah, yeah. And I, okay. and I kind of felt like the receptors to the actual raw experience are scarred over. And, and this is something that I have to experience through other people. I have a, uh, I, I have two daughters and my younger daughter has the most vivid imagination I've ever, I've, I've ever encountered in anybody. And she doesn't have control over it. She had one time, just as a, for example, recurring nightmares about bats. And my wife at the time was all over me about what did you let her watch? And I'm like, well, she's not interested <laughs> in watching TV unless it's, you know, unless it's Peppa Pig or something. So I can't imagine what she could have seen. And, but I, I thought back and I thought back and recalled, and it turned out that I had been watching Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. Uh And there's an establishing shot, not even a scene where bats are like terrorizing anybody, but like they show the, they show the, the palace and at night and then, and some bats fly by Mm -hmm. uh, just, just for color. And well, she, she didn't was, even get to the good part with the bugs. No, let alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the bugs or the, or the heart scene or, or, or any of that. monkey brains. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't even get to the racism. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, but, but she had walked through the room and she saw the bats and it stuck in her mind for weeks. Mm. And, uh, she was, you know, so as she how, started wait, wait, to, wait, wait, to wait, get, how, did, how does this tie back to infinity pool? Uh, well, it ties yeah. back to how, I mean, for me, I, I, it was a lark. 
it was it was a lark and I appreciated the technique and what he what he did. But it's it's only in experiences like that one that I had with my daughter that I am reconnected to the notion that I am several removes away emotionally from feeling what the end user, what a reader who picks up my book is going to be feeling. A lot of the conversations that we have with people in the biz, shall we say, they, they do have things, particularly when they get to the adult stage that they love because they're, they're now an auteur and they love it for auteur reasons. Right. And, and it's, then hard to find examples that really touch back to the things that, that they felt when they were a kid type of thing. Like it really yeah. gets to the emotional connection that, that says something about who they are as a person. And yeah, and what you're giving here is sort of, sort of, sort of that, but also not because what you're saying is I like it as an art tour because it made me feel something. Yeah, and it, it's like how do you tease apart the auteur part from the emotional part, and what really is the emotional part when it seems like really the emotional part is just that you love it as the auteur because you make it makes you feel like it. It's all jumbled up in a way that I can't. Yeah, I don't I, know how to pull that apart. I'm finding it difficult too. I'm finding it difficult. <laughs> yeah, no, really- I, I agree. To, to, to single out, okay, the last thing that I saw that just kind of blew my mind and made everything new the way that, I mean, I'm totally a child of the summer of 1982. Road Warrior, Blade Runner, The Thing, all within a month of each other. <laughs> yeah, all the other rad stuff that, that came out that year. But uh, those things kind of shaped my aesthetic. Akira was probably one of the last things that really got in there. Yeah. And and that I see coming up unbidden uh, in my subconscious. Well, there's mm. Canada again. It's funny, and I I, I question. I don't think it's a, a thing of what the culture is giving me. I think it's totally a function of of where I am in my life. Yeah. Uh, of course, I think Amon Tobit put it best uh, in responding to critics of his new music. He said, "He said you don't miss. You don't think the old music was really better. You just miss being young." <laughs> I, you know, and I, when we, I as love we get, the fact that you know who Amon Tobin is. Oh, <laughs> Lord, he's he's the greatest composer alive. That's all. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's out there. Autocrat yeah. too. Uh, so, so, uh, so, actual uh, fears. Anything actually terrify you in real life as an adult? Oh well, I mean, sure. I, I'm af- afraid of dying of cancer. I'm afraid mm. of you know. Civil unrest. I'm afraid my, our, of our neighbors coming to kill us. The, you know, that one day there will just be a story on Fox News and went, "All right, the Boogaloo's here," you know, and and they're going to come kill us and take our TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, like for <laughs> irrational, irrational adult fears. I've come to come to fear and suspect that not necessarily fame itself, but the combined attention of the whole hu- of the whole human society has like detrimental effects aside from the obvious, just, you know, it freaks you the fuck out. If everybody, if everybody thinks they know you, mm. you know, and it, and it takes its toll as it had on, you know, people going back to fatty Arbuckle, uh, up, up through, you know, Kurt Cobain and, 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 and people lately, if everybody's paying attention to you and, and maybe this is something I got from Harlan Ellison, but like, you know, what if everybody, if everybody hating you, if everybody, if you're just like some ordinary guy like that, that Jack and any Cubs fan who caught that ball 
you know, and everybody hates you. And then you get cancer of the everything and you're dead in two days. Like, like what if we can, what if we've weaponized fame by sharpening it so much? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That I mean, takes I, that one episode of Black Mirror a step further. Like, you know, you, yeah, there's a whole social status, but, but yeah, what if, I don't know, somehow in some biomechanical integrated uh, society, yeah, pe- people could actually th- do things like that. Like, like wish cancer upon you if you're, if you didn't have enough likes or, or your social skills. Right. Well, yeah. Right. I yeah. Mean, if you have an insuff- weaponizing fame, I, what you're basically talking about there is cyberbullying, but. Absolutely. But what if, yeah, what if the attention itself was detrimental or, or what if it is due to stress? <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah there is, there is still a physical aspect. Stress. Yeah. Pe- people shipping you changes who you're attracted to people's misconceptions about your body causes your, your body to mutate. Mm. I wrote a story. I wrote a, a Lovecraftian story called un-American that's set in the 1950s. And one of the things that like, uh, FBI agent is is terrified of is that China, <coughs> you know, like under Mao, <coughs> China, you know, they had, they had a problem with with the birds eating their crops, so, so Mao told yeah, everybody heard about to go this, out and yeah. kill those birds, you yeah. know, or or the insects. <laughs> yes, or we need to make steel, and they 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 deforested pretty much all of fucking China in order to make this make half ass shitty pig iron in these shitty and foundries landslides. Right, right. And so these these unintended consequences of of unified action, of putting everybody doing the same thing. And so I thought, what if Mao gave everybody a TV? All it all the program showed was whoever they wanted to destroy. And mm-hmm. so it would just show a still image of Eisenhower. And everybody watches that still image of Eisenhower and thinks, die. Die, you know, <laughs> until he gets cancer. I mean, uh, these, these are the kinds of things I entertain myself with to, to tell myself that it's good that I'm not famous. <laughs> yeah. Same, same question flipped around again. Uh, have you ever felt completely calm, safe or bliss as an adult? Uh, yes. Yeah. Ah, we got a yes. Finally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the last two he knows in, in, in moments. Yeah. When I'm just, you know, floating on my back in in the pool, looking up at the, looking up at the, at the, at the stars. In, in moments when I'm doing things with my daughter, my, my daughter uh, has started playing D&D. Nice. She likes miniatures and she likes painting the miniatures. I, I have two daughters by different, by different wives. I'm, I'm twice divorced. Um, and so, you know, my relationship with my kids has been fraught. It's been difficult to just be their dad and, and just enjoy things with them. Mm-hmm. And painting miniatures with my daughter has been one of those things that I look forward to doing because it's, it's a place where I'm in, where I'm not thinking about anything else, not thinking about what we're going to do after this. I'm just thinking I'm damn lucky to be with the person that I'm with and living in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And, and, and losing yourself in that. All right. So the, Next two questions uh, I was going to ask are, I'm going to give you the next two questions at the same time because it could be the same answer for both or it could be two different answers. Okay. Uh, the next two questions are, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other? All right. Uh, yeah. My, my favorite movie uh, is The Thing, 1982. Kind of saw that one coming. Right. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, I, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. I definitely watched it more times than, than any other it, it's the one because it's so beautifully without 
extolling anything about philosophy or 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 ethics uh it's just this story of survival and yet it's a very powerful meditation on stoicism on how you face the impossible the mm-hmm. unwinnable from from the very beginning when you when you see mcready you know playing the chess game to the moment when they tell him not to go up and and he just looks just looks at him something about that film and the way that the conflict are the way that those people those men face that conflict resonates with me beyond anything else because i think it it really it really vibes with my sense of you know existence is futile so what mm. so what you still got to do what you've got to do and and if that means die doing what you've got to do then then so be it but we're here to go we're not if you if you refrain if you if you hold back if you if you chicken out that doesn't mean you're going to live forever you right. you n- won't necessarily live any longer than anybody that actually does what has to be done and right. that that i've found without trying to articulate that that philosophy in my work uh i found critics you know pick it out of my work and and so that that gratifies me at least in the sense that that yeah i i i picking up what they were putting down and, and trying to pay it forward. So yeah. Yeah. The thing both times. Okay. Okay. Do you see any common threads about what kinds of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love body horror. Mm -hmm. I love apocalyptic horror. Slashers don't really do anything for me. I mean, I'll I'll watch them, but I don't have a particular love for them, except for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that one gets grandfathered in. It's just it's I, classic. Yeah, I mean, and and yeah, maybe you could you could you could backdoor cannibalism as a as a uh, as a body horror thing because of the mm-hmm. the horror of the the fact that yeah, we we are consumers, but we are also consumable. Mm-hmm. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the, those are the only that really spoke to me. Also, it's just not always teenagers. What do you mean? Well, when I was a kid watching like Friday the 13th and stuff, of course I was always rooting for Jason because I hated teenagers. <laughs> uh, you know, I was like nine or 10. Mm-hmm. Fuck those, fuck those guys <clears throat> trying to do gross stuff to each other in the bushes. Older <laughs> kids thinking they're better than me. What a bunch of jerks. I hope they get stabbed through the eye with a lawn aerator. That's what you get. That's what you get for giving me an Indian rug burn just because you had a hangover. <laughs> so what, when you say it's not always teenagers, what, what do you oh, mean? Oh, oh, I mean, uh, like, like in, well, I mean, like Texas Chainsaw. The, the, like oh, no, Texas, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Oh, okay. they'll, 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 they'll eat anybody. It's not, they don't <laughs> just always contrive to, to put a bunch of young, attractive people into the, into the meat grinder. Got it. Got it. All right. So before I ask the last couple questions here, we do normally do like a little summary here of what we, what I've heard so far in the call. And so let me just kind of read off to you a couple of the things, the notes that I've taken, um, the topics that I keep hearing coming up multiple times in this call. Um, I mean, it started with you potentially having a bit of an angry childhood yeah. because you were powerless over a couple different things. But that also seems to have come up a number of times on the call too. Uh, you, you mentioned that adults don't know what happens after you die and never will. Yeah. Talking about potentially having this family curse that you couldn't control mm-hmm. that, you know, this, this, uh, 
you know, self-fulfilling prophecy because you didn't have some of the tools that, you know, you have now as an adult, you didn't know how to process, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the emotions surrounding that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also in maybe the illogical note parts of that, mm-hmm. we talked about parasites, mm-hmm. your love's craft story that you wrote talking about farming humans as slaves. Yeah. Lack of power there. Yeah. Not fear, but certainty when we were talking about, you know, fears of as an adult, you're like you're saying, I'm not afraid of it. I, I know it's coming. Yeah. And then I also wrote down survival. Oh, uh, from the thing. Yeah. Uh, survival and stoicism, which yeah. is kind of your response to it's got to happen. Yeah. And my response to it is stoicism. For the greater yeah. good. Yeah. So it's, these are the sort of the common themes that I, I hear coming up multiple times. Yep. And the obvious question then is why is that? What do you think? I'll put it to you first. Well, I think, you're trying to 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 be cognizant of places where I'm maybe as an adult overcompensating for or or still fighting the battles that 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 went unresolved in childhood, right? And you know, kind of American life wants you to do that. You can you can have all the toys that you didn't have when you were a kid. You know, mm. it's okay to play with dolls, and 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 it's never too late to have a happy childhood. It wasn't so much that my childhood was was really unhappy, but really turbulent. And it did fill me with, as as you observe, very very cogently, uh, a feeling of 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 lack of control. And consequently, I think wanting to feel stimulated, wanting to feel excited and powerful, rather than just content. Right. Yeah. Uh, th- those are those are definitely definitely factors in. I I think I think root notes in my childhood that and not uncommon ones either yeah oh sure oh sure and uh and and yet nobody reads my books uh but (laughs) but 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 yeah it's i i think we're all trying to find a a way to give this meaning and process or find at whatever level we can a place where we have control over our environment and yeah, I think by it, yeah, it is paradoxical to anybody who doesn't feel it on their own. Why would, why would horror be a source of, uh, of succor? In that all actually was the very next question I was going to ask because yeah, why, yeah. well, not why horror, but why not one of these other genres? Because like, for example, stoicism, particularly war right. movies, like that's, that's a huge part of other genres. Yes. So what is it that yeah. horror how does horror speak to you? Well, I mean, I, and I do also like, I, I, I watch a lot of war movies. I watch a lot of cop movies. I watch a lot of things with, with all kinds of conflict. Uh, and if something doesn't have a lot of conflict, I, I kind of tend to tune out, but the specific thing about horror is that crime films and war films and stuff, you know, what the enemy is. And, and, the, and, and the world is very, I mean, absent, you know, the surprises that can come out of betrayal and stuff, the world is pretty much what you think it is and it's, and it's hard and it's ugly and you have to face it. But I think what reawakens my excitement is the realization of how strange the world is and how the, how there are these processes that are intelligible, but inscrutable to our understanding because they're not for us. Mm. And, and horror 
it provides a conduit to that. When you see something that is so gloriously wrong that it reinstills a sense that, okay, yeah, no, the life is life is stranger than I, than I understand. Mm-hmm. There's more things, you know, at, at, at work and in heaven and earth. So yeah, it, it, what I love about, about horror, or at least the kind of horror that I love is that it, it, it reawakens and surprises you, albeit in, in hideous and unpalatable ways with the, with how much richer and stranger the world is than we can accept. Well, I really like what you said about, you know, the inscrutable, the word you said was inscrutable because when you think about other genres, typically, I'm not sure if this is really actually a word, but other genres are scrutable. Yeah. You know, the whole thing about, for example, when I gave the example of war movies, yeah, the whole point of that is even when you're showing how horrible humans can be, it's to teach people to remind them that these aren't monsters. These are people and we have to be careful because people really can be this evil. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with horror, if you're trying to particularly touch on the fact that there are things we cannot know. Right. I could see that definitely being um, an avenue that horror leans more towards. Sure. Oh, sure. And I think one could make the case, and I think somebody did, because this was something that I heard secondhand. I was heard it was attributed to Warren Ellis that he said that the rape camps in Serbia uh, rendered cosmic horror quaint. That human evil, I mean, and, and I'm sure somebody said the same thing about the Holocaust in the 40s. I was just about to say that. Yeah, that it rendered horror quaint. But I think I I, I would say yes in some cases, but for the most part, no. I think it's the kind of thing that underscores the need, the reason for horror, not because it could prepare us to stop the next Holocaust, because, of, of course, you know, what can, but... These it reveals that truth that humans are that evil. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm going back to the whole like people are the real evil thing we were talking about earlier. But I don't know. Right. Well, and the the, the, the it, it or even the more fundamental thing that the, that the world that we are not that the world isn't made for us. Mm. That we are a thing that is here, but there will be things after us, and there were things before us. And, right. and that we're, we're this enjoying this brief moment and however full of ourselves we are peace in the puzzle, the, the earth is not the piece in our puzzle. Yes. Yes. However full of ourselves, we might feel we're, we're not, we're not what was intended. And I think horror is important for that. And I think that it provides, if not some sort of answer or, or some sort of anodyne after we're coming away from hideous things like the Serbian rape camps or the Holocaust or the Rwandan genocide. But at least, yeah, uh, human horror and war films can remind us that human beings are capable of these things. And if we're not vigilant, if we're not looking out for the, those, those cracks that can appear in a society that suddenly make people stop seeing each other as human. But even the more extraordinary horror, I think re it should reinvigorate and resensitize our sense of how small we are in the cosmos and how f- easily it can go awry if we don't, you know, hold fast to the, the, the little places, the little cracks and spaces that we can make where we can control things and make things safe and comfortable for each other to paint our miniatures. 
<laughs> Bam! Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so really, the last question, yes. uh, is there anything you've thought of that might be relevant that hasn't come up on the call? Maybe we were talking and you thought about something and then the conversation turned. Oh, I, I, well, I, I never let a tangent stand in the way of whatever <laughs> you guys were asking me to say. So I, I think uh, you might be able to edit some of the some of those tangents back here and put them into <laughs> into this section. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, it's for better or worse. That's kind of the, the way my, the main the way my mind works is the short term memory gaps won't let me go. Okay. I'll file that away. Cause we're sure to re- remember to revisit it at the end, mm. but yeah, no, I, 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 I'm sorry. I honestly, I, I don't know that I, that I have something else. I mean, to answer something you said earlier about yeah. uh, editing uh, tangents back in here, no, that's what the uh, Patreon subscribers get. They get they get the full audio of the interview, so <laughs> oh, they'll God. get to enjoy all that. Awesome! Uh, <laughs> we can do an episode of but, just tangents. You know, oops, all tangents. Uh huh. <laughs> I've that's that's kind of become my trademark. I, I was in a three I was in a three minute short film called Quentin Fifty Eight. And I, I yelled out so many non sequiturs just that, <laughs> that ruin takes that they made a whole, whole separate short film of my, of my shouted non sequiturs, yes. <laughs> which, which I will email you momentarily. Please do. Um, so yeah, Chris will be looking for inspiration. <laughs> Hot damn. It's, it's all, it's all going to be here, buddy. Nice. Okay. Right on. Uh, well, Thank you very much for your time. I mean, unless there's anything else, like I say, relevant that you think you wanted to add. Oh, I, God, I hope not. I think we, <laughs> we, I think, nailed it down pretty well. Oh, so. yeah. 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 No, it's it's welded. <laughs> well, again, thank you very much for your time. Hey, and, thank you, uh, Stephen. Chris this has been fantastic. Yeah. Our pleasure. And thank you to anybody out there listening. Again, please do come visit us at horrormixeshappy.com. Uh, got lots of stuff there, merch. You can support us in a number of different ways. Buy us a coffee. Uh, or you can just tell a friend or buy us a coffee. Yeah. 